On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, a new year means a fresh start and a chance to set goals for your small brewery and business. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 25. The introduction of a new calendar comes with a lot of promise, a blank slate to fill in with projects and goals. Maybe it means revamping a taproom or a recipe. Perhaps it's finally time to sign the paperwork on new equipment, a new space, or taking the first steps to open your own brewery. Whatever the case, this episode is about making the right moves, finding a place in the brewing industry that suits yourself and your family, and learning a bit more about tools to help you get the work done, pandemic or not. So I'm going to be talking with Raven and Travis Kosurik of Houndsong Brewing in Texas, and then we're going to do a technology check-in with Clayton Kammerer. He's the senior sales consultant at Arrived. Support for this show comes from Fermentus. Fermentus delivers creative and dependable yeasts and technical solutions for the fermented beverage industry. Saf Yeast for Beer is now available in 100 gram packaging, which is perfect for any nano brewer. Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. For more information, please visit fermentus.com or download their free Fermentus app. We're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. You won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And Brew Your Own has a full schedule of live online workshops scheduled this year. Coming up of interest to small-scale brewers, sour beer techniques on January 28th, and small-scale hop growing on February 25th. Details on all of the workshops can be found at byo.com bootcamps. A brewery is more than just a place that makes beer. It can be a community hub. It can be a trailblazing business, and it can be a chance to put down or rediscover family roots. After living in Fort Collins, Colorado, and being immersed in all things beer, including home brewing, Raven and Travis Kosarek moved to Texas, where Travis is from. They opened Houndsong Brewing in a historic building in Columbia, making it the first brewery not only in town, but in the county. There, they're working to appeal to a local market through their recipes and understanding the larger competition from statewide breweries. Navigating a small brewery during a pandemic has its challenges, as you can imagine, but they're forging ahead with plans for growth and longevity. In our profile this month, they spoke to me from their brewery in Columbia, Texas. I feel like this might be an easy question, but one that I don't necessarily know the answer to. What sort of song does a hound make? So, so it, it really comes down to uh, a sense of nostalgia, but it's a beautiful bay that, you know, if you can just imagine yourself in the woods, maybe, you know, in somewhere in the south and, and you hear the kind of, you know, howling the dogs running and, and we personally own two of these blue tick hounds. And, and that's kind of sort of the, the hound song is, is that sound and then that sense of nostalgia. What role do you see your beers and, and your brewery playing in the nostalgia of beer? It's about, you know, relaxing over a pint of beer in the company of family and friends. And to that end, the beer has to be very highly drinkable. 
And so that's one of the primary focuses for us. And I know that word is, is used a lot, drinkability. Yeah. Uh, but for me, you know, it, it's, it's so true. It, you know, it's important that, you know, the way that I conceptualize when I design a recipe, for example, is, you know, if you're a, if you're a beer nerd, right. And, and you really want to parse apart the nuances of the malt flavor, or, you know, the, the pick out slight sulfur notes in this lager or what have you, you can do that with my beer. But if you don't know anything about, let's say beer, you know, as it were, then you can also just enjoy the heck out of this, this pint of beer because it's so clean and refreshing and easy drinking. And so it sort of represents a meeting place for these folks who are you know, really into it, want to parse it, parse it apart. And then folks who couldn't care less about that, but would rather just enjoy, you know, an easy drinking beer. And so that's sort of how we uh, envision uh, the beers here at, at Houndsong. But it's also the environment where the beers are being consumed. And Raven, as you think about front of house and the customer experience, what do you want to convey? And 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 what have you learned uh, over the time that the brewery's been open to to sort of adjust to you know, give customers, you know, not just a normal place to go, go or you know, not being a corner bar, or not being a uh, you know, just like every other brewery. Well, uh, we have a really, I, I think we have the advantage of a really awesome location. Um, we're in the center of town, just, just off the next block of the courthouse in a building that's almost a hundred years old. It started out as a, uh, Dodge Plymouth dealership it was built in 1926. And um, so it's just a really cool building with a lot of history. And um, what we've learned is that over the years, this was really the town center. Um, it was a hotel during World War II. This is where all of the uh, soldiers would come to get shipped off to Europe. And um, same thing during, you know, the, the following wars. <laughs> Um, so this was always the meeting place. And so in developing our tap room, we wanted it to, we wanted to carry that theme and make it just a really comfortable, low key atmosphere. That's, it's, that's, you really can't find around here. And, um, just in talking with folks as we were setting up, the idea of a brewery was so, um, it's a foreign concept and coming from Fort Collins, that's just super saturated with microbreweries. Explaining that to people, I, I, it was really difficult, <laughs> you know, it's something that was so familiar for me. I'm like, oh, well, you, you come, you drink beer, you hang out, maybe they have food, maybe they don't. Um, and you, you go on to the next one, but um, here we, being that we're the only brewery in the county, we needed to make this place um, a good landing spot. So, um, yeah, we've you know we've we've got live music and we do bingo and other special events and things like that. Um, so yeah, we <laughs> we we just wanted to create a, a comfortable place for people to enjoy beer and invite their friends. But having that background in Fort Collins, you know, where, I mean, you, you 
can't walk half a block without hitting a brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of you must have been able to really say, okay, this is what we've liked from these experiences that we've had at you know, this place and this place and this place. This is maybe what we didn't like. And then you were able to really bring, I, I assume, your, your best vision of what a perfect spot is for you you know, two people who didn't, who didn't have that. Yeah. You know, I think it was, it was definitely, I, I think that we're super fortunate Raven and I, in, in terms of the, the team that we, you know, bring to the table, the two of us sort of a, a yin and yang of sorts. I mean, um, you know, she's sort of the, the heart of it and I'm kind of the head of it, you know, head and heart type of thing. And, um, you know, for, for, you know, being in Fort Collins and, you know, sort of maturing as a brewer and, and learning in, in that sort of environment for me represented what, what quality beer should be. Um, but then also being that I'm from this area of Texas and grew up here, I really felt like I under, I mean, I, I do understand the people here. I understand the culture and, and how people are around here and sort of the charm that, that does exist here. And, you know, as Raven's been able to, you know, get to know me over the years during our relationship and then eventual marriage, um, you know, she sort of saw where I'm from and, and the, the fabric that I'm cut from. And, and I think she was able to sort of identify that and, and pull together something that was, was, was beautiful and, and clean and, and neat and, you know, complex, even, you know, in spite of its simplicity here uh, in, you know, in, in Columbus. And so sort of melding those two ideas of, you know, what quality craft beer is because of where we kind of came from um, and then bringing that to, to where I'm from. Um, it's, you know, kind of a, kind of a neat, um, you know, it, it's neat how that all sort of came together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a, a combination of, of where we came from and, and then, you know, in, in so many ways. So it's kind of neat. Is, is that an accurate assessment, Raven? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not trying to play marriage counselor here, but yeah. No, no, he, he hit the nail on the head. We, um, this is definitely um, the, just moving to this area from having grown up in Fort Collins. Um, I can't say enough good things about um, just columbus in general but just the people that we've met here um it's i think people have this perception of small towns that um is 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 definitely inaccurate and that people just end up here and um i i've found that it's a very intentional decision to live in a small rural area because um there's there's no convenience stores or, um, you know, you, you really have to hunt to find the things you need, uh, to live here. And, you know, we're only an hour from bigger towns, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like Travis said, you know, very charming tied to traditions. But, um, what I found is there's, there's this movement of creativity in this town where where people are just craving things like craft beer amazing food new flavors um art 
it's it's really cool to see. Yeah, can can I, I I'd love to explore that because you know nine nine thousand or so breweries in the country right now, but there are still a lot of towns, mine being one of them, um, or you know counties or wherever in various parts of the of the country that still don't have a brewery. Um, that still don't have, you know, this, this sort of, you know, meeting hub for it. And when, when you said that there's a, there's a, there, there's a craving for, you know, art and beer and, 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 and et cetera, what does that look like? Because there, there may be people who are thinking about opening up a brewery right now who aren't quite sure where they're going to, to, um, to put it. And, you know, I would argue that going into a place where there isn't already a brewery could be beneficial in a lot of ways, but what what are the conversations like that you were having with folks as you were getting ready to open that makes you say that there's this desire for you guys to open up? Well, I think a lot of, well, like, like I'd mentioned, a lot of people really didn't understand the concept of, of a brewery and, you know, they knew we were going to make beer, but they weren't sure if, if they could drink it and enjoy it here. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with just the cha- the numerous changes to legislature around here that previously maybe you, they, they think of maybe Shiner where you couldn't sit and have a few pints, but that's since changed. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they really didn't know what, what it was that we were going to accomplish here, but they were excited about it. They were excited about the possibility of, of having a new, um, a new place here. And, and I think, um, just the history of breweries and, um, and craft beer in general. Um, it's, it's a novel concept in, in some areas. And I think, you know, a noble trade, um, and yeah, I guess. Yeah. I was, I was just going to add too, um, you know, like, uh, People, people around here too, you know, there's a sense of, you know, you, you want to feel, well, and I think this goes for all people, but you want to feel welcome, you know, when you walk in to any place for that matter, but this was especially important to us, you know, you, you feel welcome. And, and, and I think folks get that here. They see um, sort of this, this blue collar, like, you know, grit, the grittiness sort of mentality that we that we embody here and that we're genuine in, in our approach to what we do. And we tell everyone, hello, we, you know, we're, you know, folks feel very welcome. And I think that that's one thing that allows us to, uh, or has contributed to our success here um, is just that, you know, folks feel welcome. And, and I, and, and whether or not that's unique to this specific place, I think that the way that we've been able to, to do that um, is, is, important to uh, folks, you know, wanting to come to our spot, uh, in spite of the fact that it's, it's a new sort of concept. And, and it's, you know, at first there's a bit of skepticism, but then you walk in and you're like, wow, this is, this is beautiful. And you're met with a stainless steel on your left and a beautiful, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, well, it's a wall around our walk-in cooler, but it's a beautiful wall that that uh, we built during our build out in a, in a nice bar and it's open and, and and neat and clean and and you know folks see that and they're like wow like they just sort of become enamored by the look and feel of it and just and just sort of get sucked in and and I think that that's one thing that we have going for us in in this specific spot having a food component 
was that was that always part of the plan or is that was that sort of a necessity as well being where you are to as, as an additional draw um well initially no that wasn't wasn't the plan to have um food that you know we we made in-house we definitely wanted to go the route of having rotating food trucks externally but um with covid and, and covid 19 and just some of the early um mandates that we had locally um we we had to have full-time meal services in order to keep our doors open yeah uh, we had to reflect um, revenue from food sales um, to, to avoid being categorized as a bar. Um, we opened in November of 2020. And so that was, I think, during the second wave of the pandemic. And sounds about right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, so it, 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 yeah, initially it was not the plan, but um, we were just, I think we were fortunate to to have opened when we had because we were able to see um, the challenges that other local breweries were facing and trying to meet those numbers. Um, and we were able to do a lot of research to figure out what we could do to keep our doors open and reflect those food sales. So um, yeah, we partnered with um, local food trucks and were, were able to to make it through and unfortunately didn't have to, to shut down at any point. Um, and then over time, um, our, our, we did develop some, some small plates that we do in house and, um, those just became really popular. So we started to build on that. And, um, now, uh, at this point in time, we're actually working on, uh, developing our own kitchen to do, to, to do our own food in-house, um, I guess just to expand on our services that we have here and develop that atmosphere further to include um, food and beer pairings. Um, yeah, just to make it a more interesting place. I dig it. Um, Travis, are your, have, have, have the beers that you've been thinking about, have they evolved as the food program has evolved? Are you thinking about them in tandem? Um, so previous, like prior to now, not, not completely. I mean, there's been small, like, like certain situations where we've done like small pairings, um, with food or with, you know, different desserts around the holidays, you know, beer and cookie pairings and things like that. Um, but that's not something that we had developed too extensively, but with that said, we do incorporate our beer into into the food as much as possible so for example um you know raven mentioned kind of the evolution of the of the food side of things for us and while it's very heavy on food trucks at this point she has a she has a convection oven and for the you know for our entire existence up to this point she's been um putting out some amazing pretzels and and charcuterie and things like that but those pretzels uh, use uh, some of our beer in the recipe. We also uh, use some of our beer in like in like a beer queso uh, dip, and then also, yeah, and then also in the kitchen. Uh, once we you know, the full kitchen that she mentioned that we're going to be opening up here in the next couple of months, um, 
you know, looking for uh, menu items that are simple, but that also pair well with our beer and, and use beer in the recipes as much as possible, whether that be um, in sauces or dips, um, or in some cases dough, depending on the direction that Raven decides to go, because that's sort of her wheelhouse. Um, but yeah, we definitely incorporate the beer as much as possible um, into, you know, into the, into the recipes. And uh, we make suggestions for pairings. Um, and it's just something that we, that we would, that we plan on developing a little bit further. Um, are, are customers generally receptive of the suggestions on pairings or is there kind of a shrug? Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems, um, uh, I, I would say just our experience to date has just been that, um, you know, people like to drink what they like to drink and, um, yeah. they, I, um in general people just like to do what they like to do so, okay you know, that makes yeah. sense yeah well and i think that you know it's it's something that uh that can certainly be developed over time i mean you know you've heard the story a million times right i mean it's a small business and, and limited resources and blah 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 um you know so with that in mind you know we i guess we don't like to do anything halfway and and so to to do like a like a nice you know beer and food pairing type of type of thing um, is something that we want to approach, I guess correctly as it relates to the standard we have in our mind. Yeah. And um, so to that end, you know, we just it haven't developed it completely like we'd like to. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers that, but no, I I I, I don't even know where things stand in that arena these days and so uh that's that's why i was more just curious about where uh what your experiences have been um you know, one of the things that, that that's come up um and i said i wasn't gonna play marriage counselor and i hope i'm not but um is finding home work balance when you know you're in a you know in a in a, in a marriage but also in a you know in a business together um what have you found that works to, you know, maintain, you know, being together, you know, quite a bit, I imagine, you know, at home and at work. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just quickly, one thing I'll just quickly jump in and out and then I'll let Raven elaborate, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I, we, we, we have our respective needs just in, in, in life, you know, outside of work and, and, you know, I, I'm someone just personally who I have a hard time turning work off. I'll be, I'll be very honest about that. And, you know, I, and I, I'm reading about beer all the time in some way, shape or form or listening to a podcast or, or whatever the case might be, you know, looking at things and, you know, on, on, you know, craft beer professionals on Facebook, whatever the case might be. Um, now with Raven, I mean, you know, she, she definitely is someone who, likes to be able to, I've recognized over time that she, she likes her own space outside of work. And so I can let her kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, I, I think we, um, underestimated the, uh, the, di the dynamic change or the dynamic shift that happens when you open a business with your partner. Um, you know, you can always say superficially that, yeah, you, and acknowledge that, yeah, that this is going to change um, how I feel. <laughs> but um, 
I think over time, what we've learned is uh, if, if you think that you have good communication in a marriage or in a relationship, um, start a business together and then, yeah. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll kind of reassess. Um, but um, yeah, like Travis said, um, we, we just have different styles of, of addressing work duties. Um, I like to keep it to a schedule. You know, when we walk home, when, when we walk through the door, I like to kind of let it go. Um, but yeah, we, we've just kind of learned to acknowledge each other's different work styles. And um, overall, I think we work really well together. And I think that, that the business works because of our ability to cordon off different different things in, in the business and, and stick to them. So I have, I have what I handle. He has what he handles. And we both trust that it's going to get done correctly. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you, you can never really turn it off. There's yeah. things that, that are going to pop up at, you know, 11 o'clock at night and, or five in the morning. It's just, it's just how it goes, but yeah, you just take it as it comes. All right. No, I, you know, I, I, and I, everybody's going to handle it in their, in their own ways, but I, I, I just know that as you know, and the pandemic has sort of, um, pushed people together uh, for even more time and everything. And just, uh, I've just, I, I realized that over the last couple of months, I've been having conversations with folks who uh, live and work together and, you know, trying to find that balance and strike that balance. And uh, it's, it's just good to be talking about, um, I think. Um, we're at the beginning of a new year. Uh, typically a, a, a new calendar on the wall means uh, resolutions and things that you want to do better um, or thing goals that you want to focus on for your brewery this year. Uh, I know the kitchen's coming up. Are there other goals that you'd like to meet in 2022? And if so, how are you working towards making those happen? Yeah, absolutely. So, so on the, on the brewing side of things, um, I, uh, I, I would like to, uh, keep moving towards getting beer into, uh, you know, smaller format packaging that we would sell to go here from the tap room, um, as much as possible, avoiding distribution, um, which we do a very tiny amount of distribution right now, self-distribution. Um, but, uh, I would, I want to get to, you know, like, you know, four packs of 16 ounce, uh, and, and that would involve a, a small production expansion. Um, and, you know, and, incorporating, you know, canning line and that sort of thing. Um, but, but, you know, that is also, I guess, sort of secondary to continuing to develop our spot in the, the Harvard's garage here. Um, you know, because sort of, as we alluded to earlier, um, you know, making our place, something that's sort of a destination, something that's welcome, something that's a meeting or welcome to folks, uh, meeting, a meeting place for people, um, it's really important for us to continue to develop this spot. And so to that end, uh, we are doing uh, this year in 2022, a lot more exciting events at the brewery, leveraging our new PA system and stage uh, that we have here in house um, cool. and some more exciting shows and, and music and even some non-music uh, type of types of things. Um, so those are the big things on the horizon for us this year. And, you know, if, Raven, do you have anything else to add? 
Yeah, just developing our, our taproom atmosphere. I mean, there's there's always projects to be done. Um, but uh, but now that you know, with with, uh, with the pandemic and, and COVID restrictions kind of a moving target, um, it's always where we're headed is to to more plan for those um, like Travis said, exciting experiences here in the tap room, live music, comedy shows, um, yeah, the- yeah, building community and uh, having a sense of place. I love it. Absolutely. And polka music, polka music oh, is huge. Geez. It's, uh, I, mean, I can't, I can't tell if you're messing with me or you're serious. No, no. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, really? It's a real, uh, the, the, in this area, the predominant cultures are, um, Czech and, and German. Um, this area was settled by, by Czech and German settlers and, um, that culture strong around here. You see, um there's a uh, sausage festivals oh yeah um kolache festivals polka music is huge so you know and it, <laughs> it's like to host more of those uh, that's amazing <laughs> yeah and it's and it's it's neat too because it just being the you mentioned you know classic uh styles of beer mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um and and you know, looking at the the history of sort of the movement of beer across across the world, and in particular, like you know, when when the Germans and and Austrians uh, and Czechs for that matter, but in particular Germans and Austrians, kind of you know started to kind of move this way, and and you know Mexico and Texas, and and then you see you know vestiges of those brewing traditions, um, you know, like for example the the Vienna Lager. Um, you know, making its way and now, you know, uh, Modelo being sort of that style, um, kind of or a, an evolution of that style. And then, of course, when you look at the, the culture that was kind of left there um, by those folks, um, it's, you know, some of it has those roots in that European, you know, music tradition. And so those these folks here, you know, at like, for example, at the church picnics, which happen, you know, once or twice a year, it, it's nothing but, frankly, well, not nothing, but, but there's a lot of beer drinking and, uh, and polka music and the accordion is something that, you know, you just, I don't know, you, you hear it and, and it reminds me of, of being a kid and just go, you know, going to these things when I was a kid and, and it's just a neat little vestige of, of that culture that made its way here. And, 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 you know, it's, it's that tradition that, that folks love and, so yeah, I guess to that end, we look forward to developing that a lot more in 2022, um, and and having more polka shows from some of the local folks who um, do some really good polka music and and draw some really large crowds, you know, as as much as is possible in in the uh, you know in light of the pandemic. So, you know, that that sort of brought up just a. I don't want to keep you guys too much longer, but but sort of one question of when you're talking about the beer that's showing up at the picnics or you're mentioning, you know, some of these larger brands like Modelo or, you know, being in Texas, you know, where Lone Star, I imagine, is still a thing. It's been a few years since I visited your state, but um, or having Shiner and some of these other really large ingrained brands that people just pick up almost automatically of, OK, I'm going to this thing. I'm just going to grab the six pack because it's familiar. Um, have you been able to make inroads over the last year of having folks stop by 
to get beer from y'all before going to something because you are the local option or is that still a pretty tough climb absolutely yeah we we have quite a uh, quite a few customers that will load up on you know eight to ten crawlers for a social gathering um right now that's our only packaging option is right uh 32 ounce crawlers and uh yeah we we see that happen a lot especially around the holidays um i don't know how many cases of cans we went through but um yeah it was really cool to see um and and just talking uh calling back to creating a place that people are proud of um a lot of what we heard from our customers was that they were going to uh, maybe they were crossing state lines to go see family for the holidays or um, going to a new year's party or something like that. And they wanted to uh, bring our beer with them uh, to share, uh, to, sh- to share their, their hometown brewery with their friends and family. So that was cool. To see. Yeah. And was, was that organic or is that something that you've been subtly or not so subtly pushing? Well, we definitely wanted to create a, an establishment that the people in this community could be proud of. Um, so I think that was definitely an intentional move on our part. We wanted to create a place that we could be proud of. Um, so I think uh, I think that, that that thought process and that feeling has definitely spread to our customers and, and just having quality top of mind and um, it, it seems like it's catching on. I dig it. Uh, Travis, last question to you. Uh, what is the style of beer that you wish more drinkers were embracing these days? <laughs> so pale lager. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's interesting, I, you know, not necessarily uh, domestic light lager, though I, I think that that is very well executed beer. But it's a different story. Um, but with that in mind, you know, I personally love, you know, pale lager, whether we're talking about, you know, a craft version of an American lager, pre-pro pills, Hellas, you know, I love all of these styles. Um, and, and, and frankly, as a, as a brewer, very, very centric to this, um, I, I love the technical approach to IPA. I think that it's 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 a beautiful beer style, and and I would never in a million years disparage it. I, I love the style, but as a brewer, it's a pain in the ass. And what I mean, by <laughs> it yeah. makes it makes a huge mess, right? When you're cleaning out. I mean, I just I I just transferred our hazy IPA yesterday, and and just the the loads of hops at the bottom of the fermenter, and and jamming up coming out of the the dump you know, the, the bottom dump valve and, you know, it's, it, it's a mess and, and they're a hassle and they're expensive and blah, blah, blah. But with that said, uh, I think it is a beautiful style. Um, and, and sometimes we'll have folks come in and they'll say, Oh, you only have two IPAs out of, you know, 14 taps or whatever. Um, and that's on purpose. You know, we have two IPAs generally right now. I have three and I brought back a black IPA. Um, just so that's good, man. Fun. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, it, it, I, I wish that, you know, pale lager, um, you know, it would, would really have its day if it, if it's not, and, and folks were coming in clamoring for, you know, the, the next exciting, you know, pale lager that you're, that you're putting out. Um, so I guess I'll just have to dream about that more, um, rather than, you know, pastries and hazies and, 
and you know sour whatever soda inspired i you know whatever um but yeah <laughs> i guess that's where i guess that's where i stand on it in in my uh from my traditional perspective well raven and travis kosurik of hound song brewing in columbus texas thanks for being on the show this month and sharing your insight i really appreciate it thank you john absolutely thank you so much john it's been a pleasure Support for this show comes from Fermentus. Fermentus delivers creative and dependable yeasts and technical solutions for the fermented beverage industry. Saf yeast for beer is now available in 100 gram packaging, which is perfect for any nano brewer. Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. For more information, please visit fermentus.com or download their free Fermentus app. We're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. You won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And Brew Your Own has a full schedule of live online workshops scheduled this year. Coming up of interest to small-scale brewers, sour beer techniques on January 28th, and small-scale hop growing on February 25th. Details on all of the workshops can be found at byo.com bootcamps. Technology has become increasingly important to all aspects of a brewery's operation, including front of the house and the customer experience. Clayton Kammerer has been following it for a long time now and has a lot of insights on how to best integrate technology, finding the right fit for your business, and what's on the horizon. He is the senior sales consultant that arrived, but our chat goes well beyond that. He spoke to the show from Colorado. So much has happened in the last two years. and people have talked about pivots and everybody's gotten whiplash with changes that have come and gone. And it, it seems that for the hospitality industry, uh, there's been a push to, to try to make things easier for the actual companies themselves. Um, but then also for consumers, how have you seen technology benefit you know, small breweries, small businesses in the hospitality space in the last two years? And how does that sort of square with what you originally might have thought that the last two years would, would have been without a pandemic? Like, are, 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 has everything been turbo boosted? I think that's a great way of putting it. It absolutely has been turbo boosted. I think kind of looking back on my experience just in the industry in general, primarily meaning the hospitality, retail, specifically even craft uh, side of things. Um, yeah, those trends have all been hyper accelerated. You know, the pandemic brought about the need for e-commerce to be at the forefront of any small business that didn't already have it, right? People needing to order pickup, curbside delivery, all of those have been boosted tremendously. We've seen that with kind of the rise of those apps, such as the DoorDashes, the Grubhubs of the world. Yeah. Um, the return of the QR code, that's another thing, right? Uh, I, I think kind of the leverage of that, not only from the ability to kind of adapt around the pandemic, sort of in that, uh, oh, you don't need a touch sort of way, 
But I think it's also a really innovative response to the rising costs. I mean, we're seeing that all with inflation, of course. That always was a thing that moved forward in time for anyone who knows about economics. But we've seen rapid increase in labor costs over the years, right? Minimum wages continuing to get pushed higher and higher. And as a business owner, you know, you were always needing to really think about those things. How do I, you know, maintain a high level of service, continue to offer excellent quality products? You really have the ability to, you know, boost sales or cut costs. Those are the two levers. Um, you know, sometimes people want to think of cutting costs as like a bad thing. Uh, it doesn't always have to be that way, meaning the cutting of corners. Sometimes it can really be leveraging technology that can be more efficient and save you money in the big picture while still allowing you to accomplish those goals and make your bottom line. So all of that has kind of been around in the pandemic. Just It just blew it up, basically, is what I've seen and accelerated the need for everyone to get on board. You can see how uh, companies have been rapid in innovating their responses to that. I mean, it's sort of a necessity. You, you mentioned the return of the QR code because, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago back when I was able to visit places and go places, you they were big for a little bit and then they weren't. And now every place wants me to download them. But I, I, I've, I've always fully admitted that I'm still very much a Luddite when it comes to uh, dealing with all of this type of stuff. So can you sort of track a little bit of how the QR has evolved? and you know, its general importance today? Yeah, yeah. So in general- importance is the right word, but yeah. T- totally. I, I can as someone who used it in the early phase. Okay. In a previous business. So that I'm going to just peg this back to around 2010 or so. Uh, you know, there would have, it was a little before that, of course, but that's when it saw its first sort of main-ish stream initial kind of uh, penetration into the early early adopters there. But that's basically at that point in time around 2010 is when a QR code pretty much was, you know, just a way of conveying the information usually in, in a link. So, you know, you could see places like I think Skull Candy, for example, the headphone makers that did that in sort of a, a really creative way um, do that where, hey, we're going to put QR codes, random areas, people look at this with their phone and then they can find out more about our product, basically. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of was like a Groupon in a way and no disrespect <laughs> there, but something that kind of was like a gimmick, right? A fad, like, well, what is this? You know, everyone was kind of curious. I did the same thing. I had it in my business. Yeah. But people would always kind of try it once and, you know, okay, that's cool. Wow. You know, but not really like an adoption in, an, uh, in a real sort of applicable sense. Yeah, I, you're now bringing me back to all of the failed Groupon events that I did back in the day of like, yeah, boy, I really need to go and paint vases or, you know, right. <laughs> whatever it was at the time. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So there was a it was kind of like that. And I feel like once a lot of people kind of tried it and even businesses too, that, eh, yeah, that's cool. But it never really it just didn't stick. Right. Paint didn't stick on the wall there. Um, and it kind of more or less faded from really memory, right? I mean, that's kind of the way things go sometimes. Um, but it was absolutely the the COVID, of course, pandemic, really bringing that back to a necessity, right? Early on, so kind of March and April there of 2020, right? When everyone was kind of learning, oh, we got to, you know, social distancing at its peak, 
you know, don't touch my credit card, don't touch cash, but how do I pay for things at all? Otherwise businesses aren't going to even be able to like, you know, exist basically. And obviously a lot of them were, were lost even thusly so, but we had seen from uh, the ones that implemented QR codes. And I say that because uh, it, it happened in our business and I know plenty of others as well. Um, there was a time where almost 40% of all transactions in sort of the retail space there um, were e-commerce and that includes the QR codes as well. Because realistically what happens when you use a QR code now, how it's often used, it's still a directive, right? That, that specific code, you know, with, where there's quadrillions of possibilities for it, takes you to a certain place, which might be like a certain table at a certain brewery, for example, to then buy beer or something or food and get it directly delivered to you type of thing. Um, so it's still that direction of a, to a pointing to a URL, really. The yeah. technology is not actually that advanced. I mean, nothing really changed with that. Um, but that's exactly what we needed. You don't have to reach for your wallet and put like a credit card. You don't have to pay cash. You're able to tell the person who doesn't even necessarily need to come out and ask you, what do you want? Or you don't have to go up to the counter. You could just sit down, pull out your phone, order things. Next thing you know, the beer's dropped off. So it minimizes that uh, social you know, connection, I guess, as much as humanly possible. Now, that's why that came about in such resurgence because of the fear of that pandemic. But as we've sort of seen a little bit of the nerves really settle and a better understanding of what you know, all this really is and how to better protect and you know, vaccines and all that, <clears throat> mitigate a lot of those risks there's still a demand for the QR code in other ways, meaning, you know, some people don't want to wait to, to close out and pay. They're, as servers are more and more scarce to get good help, I mean, we don't need to talk about the uh, labor crisis, or we could. Um, I mean, it exists. There's no, there's no avoiding it, but it exists. Yeah. Exactly, right? Then you don't have to, you know, necessarily wait. You can pay when you are ready to go, or you don't have to go get up in the counter, perhaps wait in line to pay. No one wants to do that. So it's something that you could order and pay directly on your own accord. Well, what if you're a person that doesn't want to do that? Well, you don't have to. You could still go to the counter and do that kind of stuff as well. But providing that options for people that do, I've seen it particularly popular with families, mm -hmm. right? Imagine mom and dad, the young kids, get them all settled down out in the patio. You know, it's like, okay, we're all settled. Finally got, you know, Johnny's in the, in the little, you know, booster and he's all buckled. Oh, wait, now I got to go order beer at the counter. Oh, it's that. No, wait, come back. You know that kind of thing. Nope, we can do it all right there. I get to stay with my family at the table. Oh, next thing I know, my apps and beer show up, whatever, right? Have you seen, aside from, you know, like the ordering and the paying or things like that, have you come across uh, anybody in the hospitality space using the QR codes for something a little bit different that sort of stood out in your mind of being innovative? Um, yeah, there's, there's kind of been sort of a, a, a few things I would say, you know, kind of just that I thought were cool, um, initially, um, for example, it's extra stuff, right? Like merch, right? So, you know, yeah, I just talked about the order and pay of the original kind of stuff, but I'm sure we've been places that, you know, you think it's really cool, like it's a souvenir, maybe, you know, XYZ Brewery, really great spot. I'm happy to be here. I'm traveling. I want to get a t-shirt, that kind of thing. But maybe no one's really selling me a t-shirt because, you know, you're a short staff, you need to focus on that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just not the prerogative. But there are people that know what they want. 
but kind of having that information rather than sort of the table tent where everybody, you know, okay, I'm just, because we just tune out, you know, the advertising that's always everywhere. Just a simple QR code, like, you know, want swag? We got it. Something like that I've seen. it. It's the right blend of not like being invasive to sort of create a bit of numbness like a bunch of table tents would be at a chain but it's something that like those who are interested are trained to kind of look for it like oh what is this um and then they can go and you know maybe order that sort of stuff from a separate store kind of entirely sometimes i've seen businesses have their merch uh, outsourced to like actual different you know uniform manufacturers clothing companies that kind of thing so they can do that directly via that way um, it's also something I think the QR code, right? Just it doesn't it doesn't invade um, to people who aren't concerned with it. And I'll use my parents as an example. Recently, I you know I was around them over the Christmas and everything holiday, and you know they're all asked, "What are those things?" I, we were at a brewery, you know they don't get out as much, and it's like we saw this thing. Like I've seen those before. Like what is that? And I of course had to spend an even more kind of significant detail, kind of trying to explain <laughs> to them what that is like oh i never really noticed that but it's like yeah that's kind of i think a good effective tool in a way where it, it speaks to the people that um are inclined to be receptive to it already um and then gradually creates the awareness of those that maybe aren't going to be as responsive without just kind of intruding on their space right so it's kind of a good um thing that I've seen kind of become part of society right like that's that resurgence in a way that's just I think is here to stay as you're out there and talking to you know brewers and planning or folks that are looking to um you know start to add e-commerce or you know QR code readers or point of sale um as as they're looking to to either upgrade or add for the first time what have you found are helpful questions that they should be asking first to help and sort of inform their their overall decision yeah yeah i think uh well there's kind of a a number of things that i would always like to ask them if they don't already ask me um to kind of understand where they're at, because I'm a big believer of like fit, right? You know, there, there's a lot of options and ways to go about doing your business and point of sales and technology stacks to kind of choose from, you know, whether you're talking production software, accounting software, payroll, that kind of thing. But I think there's some fundamentals that are important to really kind of help you drill down where, where you're at. So one of the first things basically is, are you gonna be just like a tap room um, or are you going to be a restaurant as well? You know, in other words, a full kitchen. Because those, a full like brew pub where it really is about food, it kind of takes a little bit of a differentiator um, in how you go about thinking about some things. Um, and I can circle back to that. Uh, the other kind of thing I really think is important is how do you want to run your service? You know, do you want to do kind of a classic tap room experience where people order, you know, from the bartender up at the counter, the counter service? Are you looking for table service where your staff go around and take orders actual table side, more of that classic restaurant experience? It's a higher elevated game. Do you kind of want a hybrid model where maybe it's normally table service, but you sort of have one floater that, hey, do you want another drink when you ask people? 
they have a 50% more likelihood of ordering another beer than if they only have to come back and order from the counter explicitly. We refer to that as floating service. Think of it kind of like the cocktail, you know, waiters or waitresses in like Vegas where they come and, you know, kind of upsell you on extra things when you're going about your own business rather than leaving that decision for the guests to come up to you. Um, And then obviously sort of that customer side service where they do it themselves, like I sort of described, or at least having that as an option with QR code is kind of the other fourth model. And obviously it can be a combination of any of those. Now, here's the thing that I think is really important is I believe that no matter what it is that you want to do or think you want to do to start with, that you pick a type of solution that is scalable and pivotable because we'd seen people forced to adapt. I mean, obviously when dining rooms were closed, you know, that kind of thing. Okay, well then they're not doing my table service. We're going to need some e-commerce. By the way, is pickup, curbside delivery, even shipping, is that included in sort of your solution? Yeah. It's usually good if it is, otherwise you're going to be shopping for two bits of software. Um, the other thing too, right? We saw early on those kind of, you know, restrictions with distancing. Okay, we got to affect the number of, uh, how many tables we have, how many people we're even allowed to have in there. That can affect our staffing. Nope, we can't do counter service because that forces people to be in a line. We're in sort of a strip ball and we don't have enough space for people to line up. Otherwise they'd be outdoors and you know it's 20 below in the winter. So you know there's things like that, that stuff that is out of your control, like government policies that could f- force your business to change. I think having a tech solution that is dynamic, basically in real time, especially without costing you more, right? You don't have to go buy new hardware. You don't have to pay extra monthly fees to change it up is, is really kind of prudent. And there are some solutions that kind of do it all, that all in one. Um, the other thing I would kind of like say is another really important thing just to think about that, you know, I think is kind of important is how do you really view your business growing? So there are places that want to be, um, heavily in the tap room, like that's kind of, you know, we're going to grow our tap room business if we get the best margins, as opposed to distribution. Are you going to even do any of that? Oh, it's more crowded. It's more difficult to do. How do you scale outside your current state because of all the laws sort of on the state level? So is it going to be tap room distribution? What's the mix? If it is tap room or tap room is a factor, you know, are you going to do more than one? I've seen a growing trend since the pandemic of existing tap rooms really ramping up their strategy and having more than one location, right? So maybe a central brewery somewhere, but then a lot of satellite tap rooms because it is the highest margin. And it's been an easier thing to do as other small businesses, unfortunately, fall by the wayside. Um, There's kind of been a glut of inventory in real estate, you know, to pick up on a relatively affordable level. So do you want to go that route? A lot of people have had tremendous success with a lot of tap rooms. you, you sort of mentioned, you know, the scramble early on of the pandemic. And, you know, I think people, you know, were caught by surprise um, by all of the changes and wanted to, to make sure that they had something in place as quickly as possible, um, you know, to offer curbside, to uh, maintain distances, to, to sort of keep the lights on and, 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 and everything running. Um, with some time now, um, and, and it doesn't seem to be letting up on, on any level. I, I'm not saying people have time to take a breath, but, um, for the people who did add 
some of these programs early on or implemented some of these technologies early on in the pandemic. Um, have you been having conversations with them about how to assess what's been working, what hasn't been working for their particular businesses and adapt and, and sort of change now with, with a little bit of time under their belt? Yeah, I have. And I, and I would say there's kind of a, a number of things that work and don't work and, and, and to use the classic, it depends um on a number of things i mean it, it does depend on a little bit where you're at um meaning geographically to a degree but also where within sort of your own demographic like i've seen a really big difference um between sort of the the places in kind of like a, a heavily dense urban core you know 100 breweries in kind of downtown like a place like portland uh oregon for example um, versus sort of, uh, you know, the growth of, oh, you know, rural suburbs of Houston or places like, you know, Boise, Idaho or Missoula, Montana, um, where it's more of either a suburban or even rural type of, uh, you know, clientele, really. So those, we've seen some differences um, just in how they have been forced to kind of succeed. I think there's a little bit still of kind of the play of, how the people in those areas kind of respond to, to the pandemic, basically. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you probably don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that in the more dense core places, they're far, they basically take like the general, you know, they're very um, risk adverse, right? We're gonna be extra cautious, not go into places, very big on masking, this kind of stuff to the max. And that can make it more difficult um, if those are the customers you rely on as a business. Also, if your customers are in downtown typically, well, guess what? Those are usually tourists. That goes down, obvious, that's been down. I mean, you can look at flight logs that, as well as people that work. Uh, well, a lot more places people work from home. So you've sort of been robbed of a lot of your customers, your inherent advantage, which is in several ways, if that's where you were. On the flip side, <laughs> You know, there are those that are more, even more successful simply by being there and like what their customers kind of are. Oh, you know, they're a lot more, um, you know, they don't really care too much about the, they don't seem to be as concerned about everything. They're more inclined to stick to their old habits. Like I want to drink and I don't care if I sit next to someone at the bar, et yeah. cetera, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and people are traveling to certain areas, obviously. I mean, you know, you can see that some of it's seasonal, but like, you know, oh, Florida is booming, Texas is big and Arizona and stuff, right? But also those places seem to be more lax in general. And so I've seen places uh, just geographically uh, have advantages or not. Okay. Um, that's kind of one general overview. The other kind of thing that I have seen a little bit as people have done this, um, enough and have kind of gotten enough into it is, you know, why was it that you were successful in the first place um, or, or even in business? Because unfortunately, if it was just like you were there, like showed up to the trough, you were a brewery in the area, um, that those types, of, we have unfortunately seen closures. Now, I mean, craft has had less of it than some other industries, I think, because alcohol, right, is a little more recessionary proof than yeah. certain other types of retail businesses or just general food establishments. Um, so I, and I focus mostly on that. Uh, but when you're kind of looking at that space too, as well, 
um, wh who, what are they doing if they've been able to survive? So one of it is kind of adapting with your technology. Um, I've seen people that use a lot of the technological tools that are available. And not only what I was talking about, like QR code and, you know, tap to pay, you know, readers and, you know, you can start a tab without having a card on file and some of those kind of like obvious nice things to have, but yeah. a system that has better data because you're, you're getting squeezed on all ends. It costs more to get your cans. Now there's bigger MOQs on that. We all know labor's going up. You're kind of getting pinched in every direction. Taxes, obviously. You've seen the kind of the new releases moving in on that, the attacks on small businesses there. Mm -hmm. All of this is going to push people more. If you have more data literally available at your disposal from the technology that you're already using or then choose to use, you can evaluate that in a much better way because they provide insights. For example, you know, maybe by the ounce tracking of all of your different kegs. There are point of sales that can actually do that, yeah. which allows you to see, well, maybe my guests actually, um, you know, prefer sort of the fruited sours and lagers uh, a lot. And I'm an IPA brewer and that's normally what all I brewed. And I'm sort of astonished now that that is as popular as it is or whatnot, or this certain type of beer is really popular at this time of year versus another one, or, you know, why is everyone trying to sample this, but they don't buy? Maybe I need to treat that recipe. Perhaps it's not priced right. That good technology actually has all that data readily and transparently available. So you can evaluate it to make better decisions, which allow you to obviously increase revenue and sort of tighten up a little bit against that loss as well. So every little thing that you can kind of do from that perspective um, and the businesses that do that and take a good uh, interest in doing that, um, are being more successful. And just the last thing real quick, I'd say on that same point yeah. is if the reason why you are successful, and this is kind of, well, no duh, John, right? Like <laughs> um, if you have good beer or good food or whatever it is, is it good? It, it, it no longer, like you maybe could have gotten away more with mediocre stuff, but as people are more discerning with sort of their disposable income, um, as well as, you know, just kind of like, yeah, maybe I should do some of this less or like, I don't want to drive as far. There's just, everyone's kind of getting um, pulled back a little bit, but they still, everyone will still do the things that they love. Like whatever your guilty habits are, your um, kind of, you know, pleasures that you prescribe yourself to, um, if it's good, because it matters to you. So if yeah. you're good as a business, you're, you're going to do just fine. So I, never I, underestimate the quality of, of being good at what you do. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, there's no excuse for mediocre beer um, or beers with flaws in them anymore uh, in the professional marketplace. Um, mindful of your time, but as you think about what the last two years were, and I use that word turbo boosted, um, what what's what's in the pipeline? What you know should hospitality and, 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 and breweries be thinking about, about, um, technology, you know, that's in the pipeline or, um, that they should start thinking about now and maybe bringing about to implement, um, couple months, a year, whenever, uh, from now, what's exciting yeah. to you, I guess. Well, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I would say, and almost kind of piggybacking off of what we last said, of what I believe is going to be more important than it even ever has been before, 
and I think is an easy trap to fall into with technology is this thought of like, hey, we can sort of, um, you know, automate more and more uh, elements of service kind of right like even like I talked about QR code and all that kind of stuff, we can have less and less staff, you know, we, we, we can basically just, you know, maybe even the tap wall go order your own beer which by the way I'm not a particularly large fan of. Um, but the reason why I say that is, is my point and it is this service has never been more important. So don't fall into the trap of sort of automating your way out of being why people buy from anybody they ever buy from to begin with. It's because they like you. You know, people buy from people they like. It's really that simple. I mean, that's just ingrained in human DNA. People they trust, good service, you know, good personalities, friendly, cordial, professional, well-groomed, you know, things like that. I mean, it sounds like, again, very obvious, but um, don't, don't fall into that trap. And you don't have to just by using technology. And I say that with a QR code, you might say, well, Clayton, it's like, didn't you just talk about providing that as an, yeah, as an option? Believe it or not, we've actually seen in our data, and we've got a really big uh, pool set to pull from, that the tabs, meaning checks that uh, are done exclusively through QR code compared to counter service, floating service, or table service, have a um, increased check size of about 24% which also relates to about a 24% increase on tip percentage, which means therefore your guests are spending more money and your staff is getting paid more by having this technology deployed. You, it, at first, this astonished me, actually. I almost thought it was counterintuitive. Well, you're not getting as good a service, right? Like, you know, if they're not waiting on me, no, it's, it's better because it allows the staff to not be tied up in the monotony of the fundamentals of service, meaning, the old fashioned way, write it on paper, go back to the machine, someone else is using, wait longer, time passes, get in there, punch it in, do that kind of stuff. Oh, did I even ring it in right? Did Was there a transcription, an error? My, you know, I'm moving fast, all that kind of stuff, spending time, going, getting the beer, delivering it. No, no, you let the guest pick clearly what they want from the beginning, confirm their order at their own time, their own ledger, and sort of guest expectation begins once that order is made. Well, now you can quickly, you know, go and get that, get it out to them. So it's actually more expeditious. So the service element is better. And it allows that, that staffing to have more time to sort of do the things that really elevate service to a better level. Yeah, what do you really think of that beer? Do you like it? Yeah, I think it's really good. What do you like about it? Oh, I kind of like the floral note. Oh, yeah, well, let me get you a sample of this other one, right? It allows for those kind of conversations and sort of elements of service to develop more naturally, which uh, results in a better experience, which obviously results in better tipping, as well as just kind of the spending more again, because people can uh, you know, buy more when they want, as well as that staff can be like, can I get you another one? Because usually with those systems, um, they can ring it in as well. So you have multiple avenues of, of sales. And anyone that knows anything about advertising knows the more channels you have, right? I mean, just yeah. like more things in a road, the better that flow is gonna be. So um, you can leverage technology, but do not skimp on the service. I think that is going to be uh, fundamental in this industry, because like I said, people are still going to go out and eat and drink and buy and exist and live. And uh, they're going to do that with the places and the people that they like. A lot of food for thought. Um, Clayton, thanks for sharing your insight and expertise and given us a lot to start considering as we're in a new year and how to grow businesses. Um, thanks for taking the time. 
Absolutely, John. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. How have you adopted technology into your brewery? And where are you finding success? You can email us. It's nano at BYO.com. And I'll invite you to head over to BYO.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and to catch up with great pro brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice, or again, by emailing us at nano at byo.com. And don't forget to check in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Support for this show comes from Fermentus. Fermentus delivers creative and dependable yeasts and technical solutions for the fermented beverage industry. Saf yeast for beer is now available in 100 gram packaging, which is perfect for any nano brewer. Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. For more information, please visit fermentus.com or download their free Fermentus app. We're also brought to you by Blickman Pro. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. You won't find a better match of price, performance, and quality. Hit the ground running with equipment you can count on and support you can trust so you can focus on what matters, ROI. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And Brew Your Own has a full schedule of live online workshops scheduled this year. Coming up of interest to small-scale brewers, sour beer techniques on January 28th, and small-scale hop growing on February 25th. Details on all of the workshops can be found at byo.com bootcamps. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. You can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out BYO.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Mm-hmm.